Welcome to Tycoons of Small Biz, a podcast designed for small business owners, the backbone of the American economy. Join us as our hosts, Austin and Landon, share insights and experiences as small business owners, active investors and operators who have started, bought, sold, and grown several successful businesses. Tycoons is powered by Backbone Planning Partners, a business consulting and wealth management firm built specifically to serve small and medium-sized businesses. Hello, tycoons of small biz. Austin Peterson, Landon Mance here with Backbone Planning Partners and Tycoons of Small Biz. We're excited to actually be in the same room. This is uh, not abnormal. It doesn't happen a lot, but uh, you know, once once every month or two, we we get together in each other's offices, and just so happen to coincide with the recording of a podcast episode. So we're excited to be in the same room, Landon. What do you think? Yeah, it does not happen as often as it should. Yeah, yeah. Definitely for you. That's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is a little easier for him to travel as he's essentially an empty nester and I have two three-year-olds. So there is that. That was Landon's way of calling me old. (laughs) So get used to it, listeners. That's, That's the kind of stuff that he likes to sneak in there. So uh, excited, obviously, uh, episode two of the new format. Today, we're going to be talking about your foundational investment portfolio. And so we're going to kind of introduce what that means to us. There's a couple different uh, aspects to it. We'll talk about kind of what, you know, how it works, pros and cons, everything in between, and kind of give you some examples, different things that we've seen either in our own lives or with some of our clients and um, maybe some final thoughts. And we'll move on with the rest of our day. What do you think? Yep. Sounds good. Well, I'm going to need your help here because I'm trying to share this on my LinkedIn page, but okay. don't know how to do it. So we're going to have Austin do that, but right. I'll work on it. If you want to intro the yeah. topic. Yep. Absolutely. All right. So today we're talking about specifically building your kind of foundational investment portfolio uh, specific to, to entrepreneurs. So, what does that mean? It's actually interesting as Austin and I were prepping for this, we were both kind of looking at it through two different lenses. So I think both will be valuable to unpack. So I'll kind of give my introduction to what we're talking about. And then Austin can kind of give his, and then we'll get into a discussion about kind of marrying those together and talk about why they're both, uh, why they're both important. So when I think about in a, a foundational investment portfolio, This is going to be something that you start to build outside of the value of your business, right? Because as we all know, a lot of successful, successful entrepreneurs have the majority of their wealth, of their net worth tied up in the business, even their liquid assets. Uh, Generally, people have more cash on their business balance sheet significantly more than they have on their personal balance sheet. And we won't get into that because we talked about that uh, a week or two ago. So when I think about building your foundational investment portfolio, the way I think about that is, is starting to make investments outside of your business that are liquid, meaning that you can get access to those investments essentially at any time 
they're focused on growth. So they're, they're growth focused. They're not just sitting in a, you know, a checking or savings account, although that is kind of part of your, of your foundational investment portfolio. So they're growth focused, they're liquid, they're accessible. And you're, you're kind of building towards a, a specific dollar amount, which is going to be situational. You know, for some people, it might be, you know, a few hundred thousand. And for some people, it might be several million dollars. And the reason for that is that, you know, people have different uh, income coming in that the business is generating. Uh, they're taking income in different ways. So their tax situations are different. Uh, they've maybe already saved and invested some stuff outside of the business. Um, several other factors, but it's going to be specific to your situation. And also you got to think about like what goals or objectives that you have kind of on the personal side. Are you going to, you know, are you planning to buy a second home? Are you about to send a kid or two through college, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So as I think about building your, you know, foundational investment portfolio, that's kind of how I would introduce that. But what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense. I mean, the reality is there's a couple of different ways, right? From a foundational standpoint, you know, I, I think everybody has to kind of start with what their goals and objectives are, mm -hmm. right? Because your business is definitely part of your investment portfolio, but most business owners aren't thinking of their business as part of their investment portfolio, right? It, it's their job or it's their business, but we're trying to shift this mindset of viewing your business as a job versus an asset, Right. So eventually you want to get to the point where you view your business as an asset or as one of your investments, a part of your investment portfolio. Right. So that's going to be part of any business owner that, that owns a business. That's going to be a part of your foundational portfolio because it's just your largest asset in, in most cases. Right. But outside of that, you've got to create the rest of this foundational portfolio, meaning that you've got to you know, presumably build a retirement plan. If you've got kids that you want to go to college or trade school or something like that, then you're going to look at an educational savings type of a plan. But it, it's really about building that foundation and saying, okay, if I'm such and such age today, right? So I don't know, what am I, 32? No, I'm much older than that, obviously. But if I'm a 32-year-old, I'm looking at it and saying, okay, everybody thinks 65. Today, actually, the retirement age is going to be somewhere between 67 and 70 for most people. So you figure out how many years you, you're, going to, you're going to need to save or you have the ability to save until you retire. And then you back into that number how much you need to be saving based on a certain rate of return compounding over a certain period of time. And you put together that portfolio saying, okay, I've got retirement, I've got education I gotta save for, maybe I need to save for long-term care events, maybe I need to be worried about disability, all this kind of stuff factors in. And then, and only then, so you decide what the plan looks like, and then it's okay, how do we actually get there, right? We're trying to achieve this rate of return, I'm comfortable with this level of risk, and so then it's gonna be a combination of the different types of investments that are out there. And, you know, most financial planners or financial advisors are only going to focus on the normal stock market type stuff, right? The, the primary types of investments, whether it's stocks or bonds or mutual funds, ETS, it's, it's really all kind of the same type of stuff. But the reality is an investment portfolio should have 
other stuff as part of it. So everybody should have some stock market exposure. Everybody should have probably <clears throat> some bond market exposure. If you're really young and have a huge appetite for risk, maybe you don't have any bonds in your portfolio. Maybe it's all equities, but there's other types of alternative investments in the private market space or real estate or oil and gas or all these types of other alternative investments that should be factored into your portfolio as well, because there's a negative correlation to the traditional type of investments that exist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So why, you know, why, why would us as entrepreneurs, like why would we want to build out this like strong foundation before we start to, you know, extend ourselves into these like shiny object, you know, kind of sexier type investments. Yeah, it, it's funny. I mean, it reminds me of a client of 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 the firm who who you know was kind of as has always been enamored with the sexy investments, right? Whether it's being in, being in you know invested in a particular apartment building or a specific land development or you know something like that that's kind of off the cuff or a little bit different or using different types of life insurance in a specific way to kind of build certain things, just something that's out there, right? Investing in tax liens, or there's just a lot of things that are quote unquote sexy and not mainstream. And so, you, you know, you hear about, or you read about like the wealthiest of Americans who are using these sexy investments. And so this particular client of ours, you know, that's what I want. I talked to these people or I read about that. That's what I want. And we have to say, okay, that's fine. You know, you, you gotta, but we gotta pull the reins a little bit, right? Like nobody as a 16 year old, hopefully, <laughs> regardless of wealth, nobody as a 16 year old starts driving a Ferrari or a Porsche 911 or, you know, something like that. You start with a starter car before you move to that next level. So you, you've got to kind of build your, your appetite and your understanding of risk and investments and how they work before you move on to those, those other things, because just like in building a house, you start with the foundation first, mm -hmm. right? And the foundation are those basic things that I talk about, right? It's a combination of just some mutual funds and your retirement plans and your, your educational savings plans and, and building the plan that just kind of needs to be achieved before kind of going after the, the sexier things. Yep. Yep. And a lot of that stuff, it's pretty vanilla. You know, it's, it's like Austin mentioned, it's setting up, you know, the, the basic retirement accounts, you know, a traditional IRA, a Roth IRA, a 401k, maybe a, a SEP or a solo K if you're kind of a solopreneur. And, um, and then once you've, once you've kind of done a lot of that stuff and you've, you've built up a nice kind of nest egg, then we can start satelliting in these other opportunities. So whether it's, you know, investing in small businesses, in real estate, uh, you know, he mentioned, you know, tax liens, oil and gas, uh, first trust deeds, you know, all that kind of stuff. Those can make sense, but they don't make sense generally at all. If, if you haven't done any foundational type work, you know, we have, we have clients that will come to us all the time. Hey, I saw this TikTok video. Uh, hey, my my friend sent me over this this article. Uh, I talked to my friend, you know, on the pickleball court, and they said that they're making a killing investing in first trustees or you know whatever the example used is. And it's like, well, what have you done to just build your foundational 
you know, investment accounts. And generally it's like, well, well, not much. So that's, that's where you need to start. You know, you gotta, you gotta crawl before you can sprint, you know, you gotta walk before you can sprint. And so it's about this, this long kind of steady process of getting there. And frankly, it's not all that exciting, but it's super important. Yeah. I mean, Landon gives me grief from time to time when I mention this, my kids definitely do my wife, um, you know, but I've mentioned this before. I did an Ironman, uh, half Ironman 70.3 in September, and you don't just show up and do an Ironman, right? I mean, are there maybe 1% of the population that could show up on a given day and do an Ironman without, without having truly prepared for it? Yeah, maybe, but that's 1% of the population. So you work your way up to certain things, right? You build savings habits, you build certain types of accounts. You have to kind of work your way up just like with, with any sort of training, whether it's a marathon or, uh, you know, a, a Ragnar race or a Spartan or anything that, that, you know, people like to do out there, you have to kind of work your way up. You don't just show up race day uh, on a significant race and say, I'm ready to do this because, you know, you risk injury or you, you risk worse, you know, I mean, you just, you can really hurt yourself if you're not if you're not prepared and the same thing is true in the investment world if, if you take on more risk than you understand or are comfortable with it's gonna it can cause some major problems some that are not able to be recovered from mm-hmm. yeah all right so where where does somebody start and I'll, I'll give my thoughts on that and you can you can share some and you can push back on uh, on mine if you, if you want to challenge them <laughs> but I would argue that it starts with your building up your cash allocation on, on your personal balance sheet, right? Um, why? Well, for several reasons. Uh, one is that you've got to have a couple months, couple months worth of expenses in cash on hand. And that could be really checking savings type money. Um, maybe you, you, you know, you go into money market right now or, or something that's that's super accessible and liquid, especially being that you know those money markets and even CDs are paying pretty attractive rates, you know, at the moment. So, but anyway, it's a it's a cash or cash equivalent type um, approach. So, I'd say a good place to start would be three months worth of expenses. So, if your expenses are ten thousand dollars a month for your family, okay, build build your cash up to thirty grand before you do anything, okay. All right, so now you've got three months of expenses. Where do you start to go from here? Well, now you can start to look at different retirement accounts, right? Roth IRA, traditional IRA, everybody's heard of those. You know, you can put what, seven, seven grand? Seven grand, a little bit more. It, it just changed, but 6,500 or 7,000. Yeah, it's seven, 7,000 for 2024. And then you can put eight if you're over 50. Uh, so. Does that move the needle for everybody? Some people it will, some people it won't. Um, so IRAs, um, good next step. Okay, what about company retirement plans? If you're a larger organization, uh, you may already have a 401k. That's that's a great uh, next step. You can start to look into contributing or hopefully maxing that out. You know, if you're making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year from your from your either your guaranteed payments or your salary as a business owner, and then you're getting some profit distributions, you better be able to be in a position to where you can max out that 401k. 
And if you can't, uh, you need to you need to kind of readjust and potentially make some lifestyle changes so that so that you can. Especially if you're watching this and you're in your 50s, you know, even mid 40s, 50s, 60s, and you don't really have a whole lot saved outside your business, uh, you ought to really be ensuring that you are maxing out your retirement plans, you know, on an annual basis. Um, and if you uh, if you're structuring that correctly, you know, you can put 50 to $60,000 a year away into your company retirement plans. So um, you, you might need a little guidance and advice on how to do that properly, but, but it, it can be done. So 401k for larger organizations is generally going to be, you know, uh, the best bet. If you're a smaller firm or a solopreneur type um, setup, uh, a SEP IRA can be great, which is a, what's that stand for? Self-employed persons. Yeah. Self-employed plan. Self-employed pension. Yeah. yeah. So SEP IRA can be a great alternative. Um, a solo K, which is like an individual 401k. You can look at a simple plan as well. Uh, they have different, different pros and cons to both, but that would be kind of a, a natural uh, next step. And then we we start to build those you know over the years and like i mentioned earlier there's nothing there's nothing sexy about those accounts it's relatively vanilla you're going to be probably investing in exchange traded funds mutual funds maybe some individual stocks bonds other like publicly traded accessible type investments to where you can get to them if you absolutely needed to. And hopefully you're not accessing your retirement vehicles, you know, before you're before you're 60, but sometimes life happens and and you have to. But ultimately, can you still get to those accounts if you needed to for whatever reason? And the answer is yeah. You know, again, hopefully you won't ever need to because you've built up, you know, this this uh liquid accessible account which is several months of expenses, but ultimately, if you need to tap into your retirement accounts, they are there as a kind of last chance backup. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're basically on the same page, Land, And I, I think, you know, for business owners, I typically say, you know, go on the, the higher side from an emergency fund standpoint, right? So somebody who's got a government job or a, a very steady paycheck, three months is plenty, right? Um, for a self-employed person, if there's a lot of fluctuation in your income, for example, or, you know, you're going to go through slow periods, for example, then I, then I might say, you know, okay, let's look at three to six or some, I would even say six to 12. It just really kind of depends on the business owner. Um, the only other thing that I would, that I would mention where I kind of take a little bit different approach is on a case by case basis, if it's going to take somebody a while to change their savings habits to try to build up that emergency fund to that 30 or 50 or 60 or $100,000 and then they're and so they're waiting on everything else to get that built up the the biggest thing that we've got in anybody's favor in terms of investing is compounding interest mm. and that's over time right so time is the most important and so if you're sacrificing and you're waiting a year or two or even longer because you're building up your emergency fund and not doing anything in any of the other accounts, that's going to cost you some, some return over time. And so I would prefer to say, if we can save this much per month, 
let's allocate this much to the emergency fund, this much to the other areas so that we're planning for all of it together. So there is some wisdom in gray hairs, huh? <laughs> I don't know about that, but that's just, that's my personal, my personal thought process yeah. on, on the way that I've always done it. Yep. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, well received. All right. So an example just came to my mind. Um, this was, I can't remember if this was one of our joint clients. This was, this was years ago, but I remember this, the situation where it was an older client. It was one of our, what we call our like our legacy clients, uh, somebody that's not that's not a small business owner, an entrepreneur, because we've got we've got plenty of those uh, people that we've been working with for uh, you know years or decades even. And it was an older individual in their sixties or even seventies, and they had been working with a different advisor who had sold them a bunch of crap, and they needed liquidity they needed cash i don't remember what it was for maybe it was a medical medical expense or it was to give cash to one of their kids i think it was one of those two things and they'd been working with someone else and we came across them and we were trying to help them determine like how we're going to go about doing this and their only alternative or their option is a better way of saying it. their only option was this reit which is a real estate investment trust and they needed to liquidate this REIT. So they came in and they're like, yeah, I've got this, I've got this REIT and I need to, I need to cash this thing out. You know, can you, can you help me? And we, we dug into it and it turned out that there was essentially no redeemable value to it at all. They, they had invested, I don't remember 50 or a hundred thousand dollars and to cash this thing out, they were going to get like, it was like three grand or five grand or something. I mean, it was like just pennies on the dollar and they had no other, they had no other cash saved up. So I don't, again, I don't remember the outcome. This was many, many years ago, but for some reason that situation popped in my head, but we've also seen those similar situations with entrepreneurs where there's some need for cash and they've done some of these other investments. Maybe it's a, a real estate development deal or uh, some other type of kind of uh, out there alternative investment and they need cash and they're trying to tap into these non-liquid investments to get cash. And it's just, it's not there. There's nothing there. Yeah. I mean, that can be true of a lot of different things, right? I mean, that's, that's the thing is it comes down to having solid advice, somebody who's going to look out for your best interests in all aspects and make sure that you understand what it is that you're, that you're doing, because, you know, there, there are a lot of investments out there. You know, there's, there's big national figures who will talk about certain things that, that say, you know, don't ever buy this or don't ever do that. Those are bad. This is good. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and the reality is all of the investment vehicles that exist in the world of investment vehicles, are there for a specific reason and there is a value to all of them in some way shape or form depending on the situation right where where the problems come from is advisors who are giving advice that's in their best interest as opposed to the client's best interest right so they may be selling them a specific product without them fully understanding what it is that they're buying 
understanding that it's locked up for a certain period of time and, and over time it will do well. But if you need access to those funds early, you may pay a penalty to get out. And that advisor, you know, may have told those things to you in passing, but didn't share all of the details or you didn't fully understand it or didn't anticipate the need for something in the future from a liquidity standpoint. And then you're having to pay a penalty to get out. But meanwhile, that advisor got full compensation on that and it doesn't affect them in the least when their client who they should have been representing in the first place needed access to those funds and are, and are now paying penalties to access it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I just had a, a random thought pop into my head and, I, and I'll, I'll share it as a, a quick tip, if you will. You know, it, it is extremely hard as a non-financial professional to determine if who you are going to work with or who you are currently working with from a financial advisor standpoint. So maybe they call themselves a financial advisor, a financial planner, a wealth manager, wealth manager an investment advisor, whatever this, you know, individual or team that you may be working with and calling themselves, like, how do you actually determine if somebody is, is looking out for your best interest? If, um, if they're the right person for you, uh, if, you know, whatever assessment you're trying to make, you know, are they the right fit for you? And one of the things that just popped into my head was, you know, if you're meeting with your advisor or you're meeting with a potential advisor to help you do some of your, you know, financial planning, investment management, whatever you're looking to engage with them for, just verbally ask them for a breakdown of what their book of business looks like. Okay. So how much do they have in life insurance? How much do they have in, in, in true advisory investment management, which means People put money into an account and the advisor charges just a, a, a flat percentage to manage those monies for them. How much do they have in variable annuities? How much do they have in fixed annuities? Um, am I missing anything? Oh, a brokerage. How much do they have in brokerage, which consists of, of you know, mutual funds that have upfront commissions? Like, I'm not saying that there, there's a perfect answer to that, but what I am saying is if you meet with your advisor, and you say, hey, you know, tell me what, just kind of ballpark, what's a breakdown of, of your business? How, how are you, how do you get paid? And they say, well, I've got 80% of my book of business is in annuities and 10% is in investment advisory and 10% is in brokerage. Okay, well, that should give you a pretty, indi pretty good indication that uh, you're probably going to, uh, they're probably going to offer you an annuity. Uh, if they say, well, I've got, you know, 50% in investment advisory and I've got, you know, 20% in annuities and I've got, you know, 15% in life insurance and the rest is in brokerage and they've got a nice, like healthy mix. Okay. Like that, that feels pretty good to me. Uh, I don't know what the exact breakdown of our business is, but I think it's what 70% investment advisory where we just charge the flat fee. And then the other 30% is probably a makeup. Uh, we've got some annuities. We've got some brokerage business, life, we've, insurance. Uh, life insurance. We've got, you know, a, a good amount of alternative investments in, in different, you know, areas. But, you know, the bulk of our, of the revenue that we generate in our firm comes from investment advisory, which is that, that flat fee. So I don't know, you have any, any thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's a fair a fair way to assess. I, I think another thing that you know the that we do that not all advisors do is is we charge a fee for mm -hmm. our planning and for our advice. So much like a CPA or an estate planning attorney or any kind of an attorney for that matter charges a fee for their time and for the advice mm -hmm. that they give you. Um, we do that same thing. And, and the reality is we could give, you can pay for the advice and you could take that advice and go and implement it with any other advisor, right? Which if, if you choose to do that, that's, that's, you know, obviously the client's choice, they can do that at any time. Typically they choose to implement with us because we gave, you know, good solid advice. But what that does is that takes the bias away, right? That advice is never product specific. It is, this is what the plan looks like. These are the types of things that you need to do, but it's never, let's buy an annuity specifically with this company, for example. It, it's always, we're trying to generate this much in future income. We're trying to, to you know have this much in growth. You need to have this much set aside for your children's education fund. You need to make sure that you're covering for your long-term care or you know potential disability, or you know, you've got a business partner have you, have you have you purchased life insurance on each other's lives to protect the business and your spouses if something happens to one or the other of you from a life insurance standpoint and a disability insurance standpoint it's it's the advice that is really the value in in what we bring to any of our clients and in my opinion should be you know the way that that our industry works overall that's just not the case you know in in most aspects and so we charge for our advice because it's not free and it's it's important advice and you can implement it anywhere else. And I, I think that's a differentiator that that most consumers should be looking for. Yeah. Yep. Shameless plug for Backbone Planning Partners, which is Austin and I's firm. We we have built our, our, our firm around serving entrepreneurs. So we don't care if somebody has 50,000 to invest or they've got they've got 10 million. It doesn't make any difference because we just charge a flat fee for our, our planning, our advice on an annual basis, which is very different. Most firms get paid in one way and that's, you know, you give them a big, big pot of money to manage and that's how they get paid. All right. I digress. Okay. So where do we go from here? Um, quick story. Uh, we had breakfast, breakfast just a couple hours with a CPA buddy of ours uh, out here in Phoenix. Great guy. And he shared a story with us. And the story was this. He has a business owner client that he's been working with for many, many years. The guy listed his business for sale five years ago. And I believe he just said he sold it uh, last year. Yeah, I think uh, last year. So for five years and this, uh, he's an older gentleman. I think he's either in his late sixties or even in his seventies, I believe. And for five years, he said he has just been stressing because his retirement, his entire nest egg was essentially his business. And he didn't tell us what he sold it for, but based on the comments, I'd imagine he probably sold it for somewhere between maybe 700,000 and maybe 2 million at the absolute most. And so for five years, he's stressing about his business because he can't sell it. And <clears throat> again, based on comments, I'm, I'm assuming that he did not have a lot saved for retirement. So he said the guy was just crazy stressed out for the last several years, finally found a buyer and was able to exit out of his business, which I assume is, is basically funding his retirement. So why am I sharing the story? 
if you wait until you're in your 60s or your 70s to do this kind of work and you think that you're just going to wake up one day and sell your private illiquid business to somebody in the snap of the fingers doesn't work like that uh as we most of us probably have heard the statistics and this holds true very much in our own experience with our clients and uh, other people that we interact with that have tried to sell businesses but only about one in five small businesses will actually ever sell or transact or change hands which means only 20 percent of small businesses you know ever ever uh have a some kind of a liquidity event so that's why we talk about building this foundational uh, investment portfolio for you because if you're just going to rely on the sale of your business to essentially fund your lifestyle for some indefinite amount of time um not a great way to approach it so austin any closing thoughts yeah i would actually just maybe uh clarify that even more because the statistics even worse than what you just laid it out as you know it, it's not just one in five it's one in five of those that are listed mm. to sell those who attempt to sell their business right there are a lot of businesses that don't ever attempt to be sold right they'll close the doors or they'll transition it to a to the next generation have one of their kids come in or you know something like that so it, it's it's really one in five of those that are listed which means that it's an even lower statistic than that. So it's probably somewhere around three quarters of, of one uh, business out of, out of every five. So it, it's just not, it, it's not a great way to think about it. If you think that your business is your retirement plan, I mean, this goes back to our last episode where we talk about moving things from your business balance sheet to your personal balance sheet. It's the importance of diversifying, treating your business like an asset, like an investment, hoping that it's going to sell doing everything that you can from a planning standpoint to build it to be a business that can be transacted but understanding that you should be building wealth completely outside of your business and if you're able to sell it at some point then that's the cherry on top so to speak but uh plan outside of your business for your own for your own financial independence yep yep yeah good point and I'll, I'll just close with this Put yourself in the shoes of the guy that we just described, right? You're in your 60s, your 70s. You haven't done a great job of saving and investing outside of your business. And all of a sudden you decide that it's you're ready to close that chapter and you want to move on. And now your business sits on the market for five years, right? So put yourself in those shoes. Now close your eyes and imagine that you are 60 years old and you've built up significant wealth outside of your business. And you are not reliant on that business to sell. Well, guess what? That puts you in a great negotiating position as you take your business out to market because you don't have to accept the first lowball offer. You know, you don't have to you don't have to feel stressed out about selling your business because you're having health conditions or your your significant other wants to spend more time with you or whatever the case may be. You know, put yourself in a position to where you know selling your business is a is a uh a, it's a it's kind of a a luxury it's a it's a cherry on top right it's not something that is forced upon you because you need to do that to you know to essentially live your life at the same level of lifestyle that you've been accustomed to for the remainder of, of this time that you're on your earth so don't be the first guy and be the second one so we'll leave with that great way to end 
Well, I think that's a, that's a wrap on episode two. It's great to have you in here in the flesh. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, a podcast for small business owners by small business owners. Be sure to follow us on our social media channels for links to all our episodes and great content around growing, investing in, buying, and selling small businesses. This podcast is distributed for informational purposes only. Statements made in the podcast are not to be construed as personalized investment or financial planning advice, may not be suitable for everyone, and should not be considered as a solicitation to engage in any particular investing or planning strategy. Listeners should conduct their own review and exercise judgment or consult with their professional financial advisor to see how the information contained in this podcast may apply to their own individual circumstances. All investing involves risk of loss, including the possible loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results, and nothing in this podcast should be construed as a guarantee of any specific outcome or profit. All market indices discussed are unmanaged, do not incur management fees, costs, and expenses, and cannot be invested into directly. Investment advisory services offered by Backbone Planning Partners, LLC. Neither Backbone Planning Partners, LLC, nor its representatives provide legal or accounting advice. The content of this podcast represents the views and opinions of Austin Peterson and Landon Mance, and or the podcast guests, and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Backbone Planning Partners, LLC. Statements made in this podcast are subject to change without notice. Neither Backbone Planning Partners, LLC, nor its representatives, the podcast hosts, or its guests have an obligation to provide revised statements in the event of changed circumstances.